regulators and legislators are going to have uh, a need for information that is really practical. It's not just, is climate science something I should pay attention to, but but how should these dollars be spent or, or what are the problems that need to be addressed? Welcome to Growing Impact, a podcast by the Institutes of Energy and the Environment at Penn State. Growing Impact explores cutting edge projects of researchers and scientists who are solving some of the world's most challenging energy and environmental issues. Each project has been funded through an impactful seed grant program that's facilitated through IEE. I'm your host, Kevin Slyman. Legislators and policymakers work on behalf of the groups they represent. They try to understand and address the challenges of their community and enact policies to address those issues while managing their constituents' expectations and overcoming their opposition's objections. In this episode, I speak with Beth Long and Becky Vasco, two researchers who aim to get more scientific research into the hands of lawmakers. Their project titled Promoting Solutions to Climate Change and Health Challenges through science policy communications is testing strategies for increasing policymaker engagement with that research so more will be used to make policies related to climate change and health. So welcome Beth Long and Becky Bascom to this episode of Growing Impact. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about our project. Glad to be here, Kevin. Can you tell the listeners about yourself, maybe your title and a brief overview of your work? And Beth, could you go first? Sure. I am an assistant research professor and director of research and evaluation for the Evidence to Impact Collaborative at Penn State. My work involves studying strategies for bridging research and policy at both the federal and state levels. This includes two major arms of work that are both relevant to the project. So the first is the evaluation of a relational model called the research to policy collaboration model, which aims to build relationships between researchers and policymakers. And the second involves testing different messaging frames to increase policymakers' electronic engagement with research using a model that we developed called the Science Communication Optimizer for Policy Engagement, which was a mouthful, so we call it the SCOPE model. But this involves drawing upon research experts that we, uh, in our researcher network that we built through the research to policy collaboration to create timely and relevant syntheses or fact sheets, disseminate them to thousands of policymakers via email, and then test different framing strategies using rapid cycle randomized control trials. Yeah, I'm uh, Becky Bascom. I'm a professor of medicine and public health sciences in the College of Medicine, Penn State University. And I'm leading the health and environment theme for the Institutes of Energy and the Environment at Penn State. Um, So what does that mean on a a day-to-day basis? I take care of people who have lung diseases and critical illnesses, and also the people whose environments have impacted their health. Uh, And then I'm really excited to be part of this project with Beth because connecting to the people who can really do something about these problems, meaning the legislators, the regulators, policy people, uh, makes a, a bridge, creates a bridge that that I think has been lacking, uh, not for lack of desire, but but for a lack of some of these practical things that, that Beth is developing. 
Your project is titled Promoting Solutions to Climate Change and Health Challenges Through Science Policy Communications. What is the overall goal of the project? The overall goal of the project is to use this scope model to test strategies for increasing policymakers' electronic engagement with research related to climate change and health. Um, so this will involve recruiting new researchers with this area of expertise into our researcher network, support them in creating fact sheets that are based on the four themes of the health and health and built environment workshops that were led by Becky, and then test different email messaging frames where we'll randomize state-level policymakers and staffers into different messaging conditions. The ultimate goal and hope of the project is to increase the amount of research that is being used to make policies related to climate change and health. But for the short term, specific to this project, we have to track that starting with email engagement rates. So we'll track how often policymakers will click on the email, how often they'll click on the fact sheet. We embed a link to the fact sheet and then we can track how often they are clicking on it. And then qualitatively, the responses that we get to these to these emails. The way I think of it is, is that Beth is providing a way for us to learn to create connections between researchers and their knowledge and policymakers and their needs. But in order to do that, uh, there, there needs to be um, an efficient connection. And what Beth is testing is how to, how to make an efficient connection. What's fascinating is that advocacy organizations and lobbyists, they put out these you know, memos about how to increase policymakers' engagement with research, but more often than not, they're not evaluating it or testing if it actually does work. So that's what this project offers. Yeah, there's so much so much room for measurement to, to improve things and to improve our knowledge about, about common activities uh, in a way to make them just more effective. Mm -hmm. Yes especially in the electronic world, right? Where you, you're not, you may not be meeting face to face, you're not shaking hands, you're not, it's a, did they click my email, you know, in the privacy of their room on their iPhone? Right. Why did your team choose to focus on climate change? So I alluded to that previously our network has focused on addressing uh, like child and family policy issues as well as so other social issues that are timely. Um, so like substance use and the opioid epidemic, but um, because climate change and health is becoming a more and more pressing issue every year, we felt like it was important to increase our capacity to be able to address this type of challenge and get this type of research into the hands of policymakers who can hopefully act on it. Yeah, to me, one of the big things that's driving this is the huge investment the federal government is going to be making in climate-related um, areas. And, and so all of a sudden, um, regulators and legislators are going to have uh, a need for information that is really practical. It's not just, is climate science something I should pay attention to, but, but how should these dollars be spent? Or, or what are the problems that need to be addressed? Uh -oh. 
what are these key intersections? So I think um, our elected officials very much want to be responsive to the people who elected them. And to, to do that, they like to they like to have information. And, and this is a way of um, connecting them to information. There are numerous health challenges related to climate change. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you think require immediate attention? I'm, I come at this um, as, a, as someone, as a doctor. And I think the, some of the immediate needs are to be able to recognize climate-related health problems and to then know how to take care of them. Um, I was at a meeting this morning and someone who works on wildfires was talking about how the wildfires um, have created burdens of toxicants in people's homes. What should we do about that? What, what should a person do whose home has is not declared a disaster, so can't qualify for funds, but but has this health concern and health need? Um, so I think the health challenges related to to the climate, you know, have been really laid out by the CDC, and and these include respiratory allergies and asthma, that's SNAP in my wheelhouse, asthma and cardiovascular disease. Um, there are also waterborne infectious agents. There are worldwide, there's malnutrition and diarrheal disease. There's forced migration. Um, there's huge floodings in areas and, and, and massive displacements. Um, another big area is heat, heat-related illnesses. Um, and and the cardiovascular disease that and and the urban heat islands, um, mental health impacts related to climate uh, related events are getting increasing attention, and I think for good reason. And then um, vector borne illnesses. So there there's this huge array of health problems, and and knowing how to address them as climate change accelerates is, is a very important scientific problem and also a practical problem. Yeah, and that, that's a, I think really important points is how broad the challenge spectrum is. Well, I think someone once said you can't boil the ocean, you know, and so right. we, it, it is, I think that's why this project um, is, is, a, is the right project at the right time. So Beth's setting up this network uh, and training people to work in this space allows Penn State's broad knowledge to be to be brought to bear when there's a specific question. Can you explain what science policy communications is? Yeah. So at the broadest level, science communication generally um, is defined as communicating scientific topics to non-scientists. And that can include a, a wide range of audiences. So anyone from elementary school students to federal policymakers and beyond. Um, obviously, this project involves communicating science to policymakers. Um, what this generally involves is um, translating complex scientific language into language that's more accessible for anybody to understand, and then discussing the broad implications of that research 
So the so what, and it can take a lot of different forms as well. So from written articles and newspapers and magazines to presentations or briefings, or even interactive workshops. And so in our project, we're focusing on uh, the delivery of the fact sheet in the hopes that it will result in a meeting with the research, with the author of the fact sheet to increase and develop that relationship further. Your focus is on policymakers. Why is it important for policymakers to understand the issues as well as the science behind those issues? If policymakers are to write and influence policies, then they need to be able to understand what the problem is and how we can address that problem as suggested by the research. Obviously, they won't be like the expert in the area, but they do need to have a basic enough understanding to be able to write the most effective policies and not unintentionally write policies that end up doing more harm than good. I think the other piece of it is that uh, scientists uh, choose what to work on because of information they get as to what's in, what is important. Uh, and so anytime um, I'm starting a project, there's a rationale and a justification. And what this, what Beth's work is, is encouraging us to do is to talk to policymakers and legislators about the things that they need to know in order for them to do their job. Uh, in, in the Clean Air Act, for example, uh, there's language about uh, protecting susceptible individuals, subpopulations with a reasonable margin of safety. And that language in the, in the framing of the Clean Air Act and the congressional language brought about a large amount of scientific investigation to help understand who is susceptible to air pollution. What, do, what are levels that kill, can be set to protect people's health? So the Clean Air Act um, is a great example of, of, of a two-way street between legislators and policymakers and scientists. What are evidence-based policy solutions? And can you provide some examples that people might be familiar with? Evidence-based policymaking involves using rigorous research evidence to inform policy decisions, as opposed to creating policies based on intuition or what policymakers think works, which is how it was actually until the early 2000s. So policymaking based on evidence instead helps us to create policies that are based on what the evidence suggests actually does work. And um, I'll let Becky provide some of the examples that are relevant to climate change and health. One of the features of climate change is that climate events are occurring in places and, and at times that are unusual as compared to our previous experience. And for example, um, brief, intense um, rainfall, highly localized, is all of a sudden becoming a real problem for communities. And this has policy, their policy needs, policy implications. We all know when Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, 
caused massive flooding in New Orleans, and it triggered an enormous federal response. That was that's an example of a policy-based response to a, an extreme event. But now there are small areas that get equally intense rainfall and have localized flooding. Homes fill up with water, uh, property becomes damaged, but there's not enough of it in a, in a large enough area to trigger our current policy based responses. And so it's very important for policymakers to be aware that, com that small communities are being intensely affected and that we don't have the policy levers to protect them and to help them respond. In a polarized society right now, our researchers, our Policymakers are individuals experiencing challenges in receiving information and responding information because of the polarized state that sometimes our country is finding itself in. It's a great, valid question. And we actually get that question a lot because mm -hmm. the work we do can be polarizing, especially things like climate change. But what we found through our work with the research and policy collaboration model and like meeting with policymakers, it's a lot, it ends up being a lot less polarized than the media would have you think. Every, everybody generally wants to do what is best, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on. It's just it, creating language that both sides will relate to and be responsive to rather than using typical, you know, liberal or conservative language, but using more neutral language and focusing on what the research suggests rather than the polarizing issues. The research that we send to them is nonpartisan. So we're not in the business of taking sides. We're nonpartisan. And two, we're not lobbying or advocating for one specific approach. It's more of a menu of options. This is what the research says, and these are the different policy actions that you can consider taking rather than coming at them like a lobbyist would and saying, we want you to implement this act or do this specific thing. And I think that approach uh, lends itself well to being received in a better way, as opposed to somebody who's more partisan. How does your work relate to climate justice? I can start the response to this one and then let Becky uh, take it from there. But uh, the way I think of it is that Research shows that climate change disproportionately burdens people of color in rural and poor communities. And what this work will do is help to get that research into the hands of policymakers who can write legislation with that information in mind so that they can help to alleviate the burdens and not cause further harm to those populations. One of the things that interests me most is getting information to people that allows them to make choices and decisions for themselves that fits their values 
and their resources and not to have a one size fits all. And, and so that by having policymakers and regulators have access to the range of solutions um, allows them to fit and to pick the solutions that fit their community. So if you are representing a rural community that is that is having flooding, you may want to know information about solutions there. And if you if you are um, in the south where it is very hot, that may be your interest. So it, we talk a lot about personalized medicine, and I think um, access to information about specific solutions is a very important part of, of climate justice. How resources are allocated, how past burden is weighted in allocating resources for future um, infrastructure and other, other uh, activities or allocations um, is, is a whole other dimension of, of, of um, of impact or trying to change things. Are there any plans or anything upcoming that you can discuss or would like to discuss? Yeah, most definitely. So given that it's a seed grant, we have aspirations to write a larger grant uh, and submit to the National Science Foundation to take this to the next level, do more science communication tests, write more fact sheets, get more research into the hands of policymakers, but also thinking about ways that we might be able to improve efficiency of the scope model. Um, so for instance, we might be able to use artificial intelligence to initiate the process of creating the fact sheet and then have, have a research expert come back in and refine it and add and but it would cut down the time demand on the researcher because they wouldn't have to find all the relevant articles. The artificial intelligence program could do that. Um, and other ways that we might be able to optimize the model even further, the more times that we do this and build on what we learn in these trials. Thank you both for spending time on Growing Impact and discussing your research. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Kevin. And I'm happy to answer any questions that anybody has about participating in the network or about the project overall. Kevin, thank you very much. I hope this motivates people to join in. This has been Season 3, Episode 8 of Growing Impact. To learn more about the Research to Policy collaboration and to get involved, visit their website at researchtopolicy.org. That's research, the number two, policy.org. You can also go to the IEE website to find those links. While you're there, you can learn more about IEE, hear previous episodes, read podcast transcripts, see related graphics for growing impact episodes, and so much more. Just visit iee.psu.edu slash podcast. Thanks for listening.